It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today I'm so thrilled to have on the podcast a really good friend and beautiful person and really the founder of all of this, Meg Johnson. Meg, thank you. (laughs) You are an incredible person, and it's really because of you and your husband, Wit, that we are even doing this podcast right now. Well, that I'm flattered. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity. We met, Meg and I, how many years ago? Four? Three? Yes, in New Mexico. In New Mexico. And I was singing at an event and Meg was speaking. And after the event, we had the same flight home. And for those of you who don't know Meg Johnson, she's in a wheelchair. And we became really close really fast when you said, okay, can you help me get on the plane and get everything that I need? And I was like, of course. And I felt so, I felt so honored that you trusted me right away with helping you. And you were very open and honest about, you need to grab my legs. You need to do this so I don't fall over. And it was just, it was like we were instant friends. It wasn't awkward or uncomfortable. It's like we just had always traveled together and had always done this. And I was like, sure. And I was helping adjust your dress and and helping carry your legs into the airplane. And it was like, oh, this feels so natural and normal, even though we had literally just met like a day before. <laughs> and And then we talked all on the airplane ride home. And, and then we started talking and, and you had been doing all these incredible conferences for our turtle house. You have so happy together, keep on rolling. And then you wanted to do this Christmas show called laughing all the way. And Meg asked if I would be able to sing at these incredible shows that we've done for, this is our third year, fourth year. Again, tell me third or fourth, fourth. I think it is our fourth. I think it's the fourth year. And a little differently, obviously, this year because of COVID, we're going digital. But we have just now we've known each other for four years and and have become such good friends. And again, Megan, her husband, Wit, along with John and Hank, have the Our Turtle House it, it app, which has all of the firesides and turtle talks and this podcast and have created these this incredible business and have done so much good in your life. And anyway, I just feel so honored to know you and to be a part of this whole thing. And I'm so grateful to you. Oh, well, for those of you who don't know Carmen very well, she is the tiniest, prettiest, cutest little (laughs) mama bear who was so intimidating looking when this person had to search my bag. I was like, oh my gosh, this person's going to beat up that person. (laughs) I was for sure. I was instantly protective of you. And it's, it was interesting to me, Meg, that when we, when we first met and, I instantly knew that you were such a strong, capable woman. And when we went up to security to check in, you said, I need to move my seat because it it, it was in the wrong place or something. It wasn't in the aisle, something. So we went up to the front and they started asking me questions. Do you remember this? And they were like, what does she want? What, where does she want to sit? And I would just look at you and you finally said, I can talk. (laughs) And I was like, and it wasn't mean. 
it wasn't, you weren't mad at them. You were just like, oh, I have a voice, even though I'm in a wheelchair and I'm a little bit down from the counter, you can ask me these questions directly. And I love that. I'm like, yes, like you are a whole person. And have you found that sometimes being in a wheelchair, people will ask your husband things or ask your kid things or kind of look past you because you're in a wheelchair? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I do notice that. And I, and I noticed the difference too. A lot of women in wheelchairs were born with some sort of birth defect or, I mean, it's happened their whole life. Like it's a whole life thing for most women, not all. Um, but I'm lucky that I walked for 22 years. And so I spent 22 years as a normal, you know, walking person. And then now for the past 16 years, since 2004, I've been in a wheelchair. And so I can see the difference. So I, I recognize that people do treat me differently. They look past me or they ask the person I'm with the questions and stuff. And so I choose, you know, you get, you get a choice. Like I choose not to be mad at things like that because if you started to be mad, you wouldn't know when to stop. And so you just can't, you just can't, you just, you just be nice. <laughs> And that's something I love about you is you are so nice and so positive. And we would be rolling through the airport and you would say, I love your bag. You have the cutest hair. Look at your dog. What kind of dog? And people are like surprised, like, oh my gosh, a compliment. It doesn't happen very frequently. And I remember saying to you, you are so nice to everyone when you do, when you maybe would have more of a reason to be bugged and angry and upset with the world and with people in general. And you choose not to, like you said, and you said, you should try it more often. You, you said you should compliment people more often. And I'm like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable going up to a stranger and saying, I like your hair. That's awkward for me. Like that, that makes me uncomfortable, cringy. Like what if they think I'm weird or why would you say that? And I want you to know that I've taken that advice and when I'm somewhere and I think to myself, that is such a pretty coat. Instead of thinking that, I'll say, oh, I should say that. Because we think it all the time. Look at her darling lipstick. Oh, her daughter is so darling. But we don't say it. And there's so much positivity and good that can come from just saying it. But why do you think that so many times we just keep it inside? And, and what made you decide, I'm just going to say what I think instead of hold it in? Um, I, you know what? I'm not exactly sure. I, my girlfriend, Katie, she's, she's who made me do that at first. Cause when I was in high school, you know, a little bit of emotions run high and intimidation and you don't feel as pretty as someone else or something else. And my girlfriend, Katie and I have been friends since high school. And I remember being somewhere with her and we met someone else, like another girl. And she was really pretty and I felt intimidated. You know, this is back when I could walk and stuff and I danced and, you know, I was all that. And um, my girlfriend, Katie, she looked at this really pretty, very intimidating peer and she goes, oh my gosh, you are gorgeous. And I remember feeling like, oh yeah, she, you know, what, that doesn't make me less of anything to identify verbally what someone else is. I think a smile is the smallest service project you can give to someone and a compliment is one of the biggest like because it makes people feel so good it does make people feel so good and and they would light up like as we would walk through the airport and then they kind of do a double take like they look back at you and you could just tell like 
that was so sweet. Like, and it's something that they would remember the rest of the day. I remember that when, when people give me a compliment, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I love this about you, or I think you're this way. You kind of, it kind of glows inside of you the rest of the day and you keep thinking about it. And then when you hear it from someone else, you kind of start thinking about it, about yourself. Like maybe I am really good at that or wow, I, I, I was having a good hair day, whatever. And you just feel happier and, and you make other people and then it spreads like wildfire. And so because of your influence, I've been doing that to others or trying to do it. And it's, it's so contagious positivity. It's just as contagious as negativity, but it's so much better to be spreading that than negativity. So for those of you who don't know, Meg, let's just give you a little bit of a background on, I'm just going to read a little bit of your bio, who you are, what you do. And then I'd love for you to share why you are in a wheelchair and how that came about and all that kind of stuff. So you represented Utah as an independent delegate at the National Ms. Wheelchair America pageant in New York, and you won the Spirit Award. That same year, you founded Utah's chapter of the Ms. Wheelchair pageant, which boasted record-breaking audience attendance and contestant participation. And this was after your accident again in 2004 and an incredible achievement. This is like your baby, the Ms. Wheelchair Pageant, Utah chapter. This is what you do and what you're so proud of. And your reach has included teens and little tiny ones in wheelchairs through the teen spokes and princess pageant. So you were paralyzed halfway through college, but you finished your degree at Weber State University. You have a bachelor in communications with a minor in English. And part of your college experience was as an intern at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And I bet that was so fun and awesome. Um, Meg, you've taught high school, um, release time seminary in Layton, Northridge, and at Fremont High Schools in Northern Utah. And in addition to numerous TV and print stories, you were on the cover for Wasatch Women in 2008. And you've been the inspiration for several documentaries and movies, including one called Falling Up. Meg is the founding partner for Jumping Turtle LLC, which is part of the Our Turtle House, this Doing Good podcast umbrella and, the, and Our Turtle House. And you work as an influencer on social media and have touched so many lives on local, national and international um, levels. And you are, recipient, you are a recipient of the Athena Leadership Award, which is a very prestigious award. Anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to how amazing you are and, and a little bit of your background. And you were also a beautiful ballroom dancer um, before your accident and have a passion for music and, and dance and, and theater as well. So will you tell our listeners a little bit about how you became, and it's not a paraplegic. No, it's a quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. That's what I thought. A little bit about how you, and it's a C7. Is that right? A C7. Okay quadriplegic how a little bit about your accident and how you became in a, um got in a wheelchair well i i did i used to dance and i used to walk and be normal and use my fingers and stuff um but then i went down to southern utah and i was hiking in this little area and um there were all of these boulders all in a row and i was jumping on the tops of these boulders jumping from one to the other to the other and then i saw one and i jumped for it but what I didn't understand about this Southern Utah area was that all of the terrain kind of blends together. And so when I jumped for this boulder, I just jumped off a cliff and I fell about 45 feet to the ground where they think I landed on hands and knees because I broke both of my arms and both of my legs, my collarbone and four bones in my neck. And they life-lighted me to LDS hospital um, and pronounced me a C7 quadriplegic paralyzed from my chest down without the use of my hands. So if I had broken one bone lower, I would have the use of my hands 
um, and I would be a paraplegic. But if I'd broken one bone higher, I would not have the use of my tricep muscles uh, and I would still be a quadriplegic. <laughs> so I'm kind of in a little sweet spot where I'm, you know, I, I'm in a wheelchair and I can use my arms, like my biceps and my triceps, um, but I just can't use my fingers the way other people do, but I still use them just right. Like they still work for me. <laughs> so what did, they did a very special surgery on your hands. And for those of you that can't see, you have one hand that you can kind of bend at the wrist and move up and down. And that allows you to do what? It's, um, well, the, the medical name is tenodesis. And so they took the tendons out of the back of my wrist and wound them up to the front of my wrist and they tied them to my fingers and my thumb. So every time I tip my wrist back, my hand closes and my thumb pinches. And it's actually my forearm muscle doing that motion on my left hand. And so, but it's always in a fist. And so every time I tip my wrist back, I can pick up papers or, you know, pinch bums or, you know, <laughs> all the important things. <laughs> but my right hand never had that surgery. And so it's just, you know, the fingers can straighten, um, but, it, and it doesn't have that tight tenodesis. Tenodesis just simply means that your hand closes when you tip your wrist back. That's all that means. Can you feel your fingers? Yes, I can feel my fingers just fine, except my pinkies. Except your pinkies. Yeah. And that's where my, if I were to hold both of my arms out side to side with my palms forward and you were to draw, draw a line on me from my pinky to my pinky, that is my line of paralysis. Okay. Everything above that is not and below that is. So you go, you talk about this. So, oh yeah, they got my tendons and they tied them together and I broke both my arms and legs and, and you said that when you um, when they found you, you said you kept talking about how your hands hurt, your fingers hurt, and they were looking at your broken body like everything else is broken. But but you had said that maybe you tried to grab onto the rocks as you fell and had worn your fingers down. Was that right? Yeah. So the um, a rock climber was with me. I was with my boyfriend when I got paralyzed, but he wasn't there when I actually jumped off the cliff. And so he found me and then he found some rock climbers to help us. And the one rock climber, Rob, was with me at the bottom of the cliff. And he'd been recertified in first aid and CPR just the week before. Um, so he knew that he couldn't do anything. And so he didn't do anything. I think it takes more confidence not to do stuff. And so he was on the phone with 911 and they wanted me to keep talking. And so he's like, can I do anything for you? You know, first thing I say, I was like, call my mom tell her I'm okay. <laughs> I can't believe you were even talking. I can't believe you even were able to talk. Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, I guess he was telling me, and I heard all this from Rob. He said, I had like blood, like coming out of my mouth, you know? And he's like, we'll call her later. <laughs> and he's like, I, um, and then I told him, I was like, I left my sweater up there. I need you to get it. You know, he's like, <laughs> He wanted me to keep talking. And so he's like, I kept telling him my fingertips hurt. I'm like, my fingertips hurt. Why do my fingertips hurt? You know, and my arms are broken. My collarbone's broken. My neck is broken in four different places. And my legs are broken, but I'm paralyzed at that time. So I don't know if I would have been able to feel them. Um, surely in shock, but my fingertips are hurting. And I guess that was God's way of being like, focus on this. <laughs> yes. Focus on this thing. Yeah. And so after the ambulance came in and got me, well, actually the you know, the paramedics, like the EMTs and stuff, they came in on four wheelers and they four wheeled me out of there. Um, but Rob, he free climbed that rock. I jumped off Turtle Rock in St. George 
you can actually Google it. <laughs> but um, so he free climbed that rock all the way to the top to go get my sweater. And when he got close to the top, he saw claw marks going down the cliff face. So he oh my goodness. Why my fingertips were hurting. I know it sounds scary, but I do not remember this day as a scary day. I remember laying on the ground um, face down with my hands up by my head, you know, and I could feel the vibrations of everyone running around me, all the stomping and I could hear the yelling and, you know, all the fast movements. I could feel them like all over the place. And I remember laying there with my face in the red sand dirt of St. George thinking, what is everybody's problem? <laughs> Unbelievable. That was a huge blessing that you did not feel all of that and didn't have to suffer right then. But I know you did later in the hospital room. And when, once you reality kind of set in and you realized, oh my goodness, what was that moment like when you're like, oh, my life has now changed forever? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I was in the hospital, um, in shock trauma. That's where you go before the ICU. And, uh, someone told me, you know, you're paralyzed. You're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. They're going to be a, a C7 quadriplegic. They already knew as soon as they got there, like what, what my disability was. And I responded back that I don't believe in being paralyzed. And, you know, there's no, you can't argue with science, you know, that like I currently am in a wheelchair, but, um, I went to respiratory ICU after that. And then I went to rehabilitation unit after that. And it was in the rehab unit that I had the biggest shock. Maybe it was because I was on less painkillers. I don't know. Um, but it was in the rehabilitation unit that I realized my hands were paralyzed. And I didn't know before. I didn't realize. I didn't have any reason to use my hands. Um, and it had been months. I'd been in the hospital for months by this time when I tried to do something and my hands wouldn't work. And I realized that not only could I not walk, but my hands were gone. And I was so mad. And I was so mad that this, is, this would happen to me, that my hands would be paralyzed too. Like, why would God take my hands too? Like, weren't my legs enough? Yes. And I remember um, later being in front of a full-length mirror, looking at myself, my ragdoll body in a wheelchair. Like, I didn't even know anybody who knew somebody in a wheelchair. And I was in a wheelchair looking at myself in this full-length mirror, and I started to cry. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to teach my kids how to dance. Like, I always thought I would. And then I started to cry even harder because I thought, well, maybe I'm not even going to have kids. Maybe I can't. And then I started to cry even harder because I thought, well, maybe the reason I'll never have kids is because I'll never find a husband who would want to marry me. By that time, my boyfriend and I had broken up and I was single. And I started to cry and I started to pray and I was mad. And I said, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to me? I didn't do anything to you. I was normal, average, regular. Why have you taken away so much from me? And I probably didn't deserve it. Um, but in his mercy, which by definition means undeserved, Heavenly Father answered me and said, don't covet because I have given you more. I think sometimes we see our trials and our challenges in this life and we think they're less. We think they're not as good. We think 
they're, they're less than what we had before, these changes that happen to us, when in actuality, um, our trials and our disabilities and our hardships in this life are equally important as our strengths are in us accomplishing our missions in this life. I know that our missions and our purposes in this life are accomplished not just with our strengths, but also with our weaknesses. And when we can put those two things together and find someone to serve, we have discovered our purpose in this life. Meg, that story, I've, I've heard you share that lots of times and it never gets old for me. Hearing, first of all, the tragedy of it and the devastation and then your choice to come out on the other side and think, but how can I use this for good? And I'm sure that very sweet spiritual moment where Heavenly Father told you that you were going to do more with this, like, don't worry, like, don't covet what other people have because you are going to do more, was a huge reassurance to you that, okay, you haven't forgotten me. You have a plan for me and a purpose for me. And how did that moment inspire you then to do I mean, everything else you've done, what was the, did you immediately in that moment think, okay, then I'm going to do big things or was it still just something you kept in your heart for a little while? It took a lot of years. It took a lot of years um, for me to understand how being a quadriplegic in a wheelchair was more than what I had before. It took quite a lot of years and maybe one of the most profound um, examples of how this is more um, has happened recently where I now am married and I have two sweet little daughters um, who I still can't teach them how to dance. <laughs> um, but every Monday night, my little girls um, have little dancer hearts just like mine and they want to have a dance party every Monday night. And as, and it hurts, it hurts really hurt. It hurts in places that I can't feel and it hurts so bad. But I still, I get on our little rug and we dance. And after a few times of doing that, I realize, you know what? There are a lot of people in this life who can teach my kids how to dance, but there's not very many who teach them that they still do, no matter what happens. That is so beautiful that no matter how our bodies change, um, you can still dance. You can still have a, a, a dancing heart. You can still be positive. And um, I love that even though it's so painful for you and and your girls, I'm sure, don't realize that now, but when they're older, they'll realize the sacrifice that it is for their mom to watch them do something that you so long to do. Um, but how selfless is that for you to say, I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to let you live your dreams and, and watch, watch my dreams be transferred to you and, and watch you be able to do the things that I can't and that that's, that's enough for you right now. And of course, we believe that through the amazing atonement of Jesus Christ and in the resurrection, you will be able to dance with your legs again and use your hands again and do all of those amazing things. But until that time, what keeps you so positive. I'm sure you have days where you're like, I'm over it. I'm over not being able to pick up that pencil. I am over people looking over my head. I'm over not being able to get just jump into bed. Like 
you have this incredible series you do and it's how I do what I do. And it's how do I get in bed? How do I make whipping cream? How do I brush my teeth? Things that you're like, everyone takes for granted, brushing their teeth, getting out of bed. And you say, this is how I do it. And it takes me five minutes and I have this board and I scoot up. So until that time when you are restored completely body, um, how do you stay positive and keep that perspective of it'll all be okay in the end? I want to share. Um, I went with my husband. Wit plays a Brazilian style of guitar called Bossa Nova. And he was performing with this group at um, Utah State. And I was on the Utah State ballroom dance team. And so I'm back with my husband. Well, we weren't married at this time, but I went with him to this ballroom that um, that I was familiar with because uh, I had danced there. Like I had, I had, perf- I had competed in that same dance, and I'd won like an award for the mamba. <laughs> and anyway, so um, and the merengue. Anyway, back in that same ballroom. And I was in a wheelchair and I was watching these, you know, performers, you know, with the tambourines and the guitars and, you know, those things like that. Then my husband's group came back and sat down with me at my, the, the big table that we were at. And we were eating rice and beans because it was a Latin festival. And then um, the music changed from like acoustic music to like a system, like a beady music. And I felt it before I heard it, which I know sounds crazy, but the music came and like vibrated up through my wheelchair and like straight into my heart. And I recognized it immediately as, you know, Latin dancing music. And I looked to the stage and sure enough, these two Latin dancers were taking the stage and they were dancing all around. And I started, my eyes like filled with tears, but I didn't want to blink because if I blinked, you know, the tears would fall. But if I could keep my eyes open, you know, just look like I had allergies. And I was looking at these people and I started to pray in my heart. And I was like, Heavenly Father, just one more time. Just please, please, please. Just let me get up and dance with them. I promise I will not ask for anything as long as I live just let me get up and dance with them, you know? And Heavenly Father didn't bless me with the thing that I wanted at the time that I wanted it. But I didn't, you know, want my husband or this group, you know, to see me cry. And so I excused myself to go out to the hallway. And I found a big bush, like a big tree plant thing in the hallway. And I hid behind it and I cried. And I cried and I prayed. And I um, I told Heavenly Father, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't mean to be weak. I don't want to be weak. Will you please increase my faith in the plan of salvation? And immediately I stopped crying and I was able to go back into that ballroom and not just watch those Latin dancers dance, but I was able to enjoy it because I know that this life isn't all there is. And I know that there's more after this life and I will walk and I will dance and it's going to be awesome. And I don't like, I don't worship Jesus Christ because he can heal me. I believe the doctors are going to eventually figure that out. I worship Jesus Christ because he's the only person who can make everything happy, even if he doesn't heal me. Like he can take away the hurt and still leave the injury. And he's the only one who can do that. That is the most beautiful perspective and, and how, how comforting to have that thought knowing this isn't forever. I know it's not, even though it's for this life, which seems like a really, really long time and whatever our individual trials are, whatever we're going through, it can seem like, this is all consuming and it will never end. And it can seem like this is really long, but I love that idea of saying, if I can just increase my faith in the plan of salvation to know, Oh, but it's okay. This won't be forever, maybe for this life, but not forever. And eternity is, I mean, this life is boop. I mean, it's a pinprick, which doesn't make it any less hard or any less difficult to get through. 
but to be able to teach other people through your example and your faith that you can get, you really truly can get through everything with the help of Jesus Christ. Like he's the reason why you are positive, why you have such a beautiful, optimistic outlook on life. And he is the reason and, and, and the source of your strength. And you can tell, I mean, just the light in your eyes that, that he is so important to you and that you know him personally, that you have such a strong relationship with him. And that, I mean, dare I say, that's probably the reason why you are able to do what you do because of your relationship with your savior. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so let's talk about how you have been able to use this disability for good and this trial for good. And one of the things we talked about a little bit that you're most proud of is that you are the founder of the Miss Wheelchair Utah Princess Pageant here in Utah. And you once a year put on this incredible pageant for little girls and teens in wheelchairs and just make them for one day feel beautiful. And you do teach them to dance in their wheelchairs, right? Like you, you, you fulfilled that dream you you do do that so tell us a little bit about what that pageant is and why it means so much to you well when i after i was paralyzed i went and competed at miss wheelchair america in new york and then um came home founded miss wheelchair utah and miss wheelchair utah is was for adults you know you had to be over 21 to do it so every year we would crown um a woman and we would send her to nationals and she would do great. It was super fun. Then we had teenage girls who wanted to do it. So we opened up the teenage program um, and let them do it too. Even though they couldn't go to nationals, we would just, you know, we crowned them as Hot Wheels, a teenage Miss Hot Wheels. And then Hot Wheels, I love that. And then the little girls, the little, little girls started to want to do it too. And I was like, well, my gosh, sure. And so we opened up a Little Wheels pageant um, and all three of them were together. And then the Little Wheels pageant started to grow and grow and grow and grow huge. So we separated that um, apart from, from the Miss Wheelchair Utah and the Miss Hot Wheels pageant. So the, and we called it the Princess pageant. And then the Princess pageant has grown so much that um, that's actually the one that we do now. That's the only one that we do. And we've been doing it since 2005. And well, the whole thing since 2005. The Little Girls have been since 2010. And so anyway, um, and then we wanted something for them to do as they grew up. And so we opened up Teen Spokes, which is a quarterly thing that we host and help these little girls through their teenage years. Um, because most women in wheelchairs started out that way too. They didn't walk in between. And so it's really hard. Teenage is hard for everybody, but especially in a wheelchair, it's particularly hard. And a lot of women, um, they don't make it out on the other side of that uh, very happy. And so... We wanted to help them through those teenage years, which is why we do the teen spokes. So the princess pageant though, for the little, little girls, you can be as old as you want, as long as you still enjoy princesses. And so some, some of our participants are older, like 12 and 14, um, but, but mentally they're younger, like six or even younger, you know? Mentally, they still love princesses. And so we have a tea party where all the girls come and we have, princesses galore and a side note if disney's listening they need to add some more princesses because you don't make enough <laughs> so my last pageant had 39 contestants and disney doesn't make that many so we have a lot of made-up princesses too 
so we've got Moana and Mary Poppins and Pocahontas and then like of course Cinderella and Snow White and Belle and Rapunzel and pretty much name somebody we have them there <laughs> we have teenagers who dress up like this and they come and they have a tea party and we got the little teacups and the treats and it is I feel so honored to get to do this because who am I, you know, to get to rub shoulders with these little girls, but then also their parents, but then also the people who work alongside me. I get to work with the best of the best, the best decorators, the best, most organized human beings in this galaxy. Um, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I revere these women like that I get to work with. They're so amazing. And we, there are no shortcuts like it is the most lavish tea party you can even imagine. You know, the <sighs> best venue, the best everything. And we have sponsors. I call them up on the phone. I say, hey, it's your annual friend. And they say, what do you need? Oh. Pepperidge Farm and Jimmy's Flowers and Meters. Like, I call, I just call them up and I don't even introduce myself. Hey, it's your annual friend. Like, they're so, so awesome. And then the second event we do, we do it on a stage. And each... Each little girl, each little girl in a wheelchair has her partner, her princess partner, and that happens organically. We don't assign partners, just whoever the girls want. And then, so she and her partner, her princess friend, they take the stage and the girl does something. Like maybe she gives a speech into the microphone, you know? Maybe she wants to do a dance with her princess friend or maybe by herself, or maybe she has a slideshow that she wants to share that her parents made or that she made. Um, one girl, she's so cute. She did a magic show one year and then she did like, she played soccer, um, with her princess buddy. And oh. then, um, every girl gets a crown and a sash and a, and flowers and a gift basket that is packed to the, to the brim. And there are no dry eyes. And every girl has like her own platform, her own one sentence description of who she is and what she's all about. And platforms that they have are like, um, with a smile, you can take over the world or reach for the reach for the stars, you know, or or I can do hard things. And these little girls inspire me. And the first time I even met them, I had to turn away um, because I'd gotten their applications. How sweet are they? How cute, are, you know, oh, this is such a cute thing that we get to do. Um, but then I met them in real life for the very first time. I'd never met a little girl in a wheelchair before. And I had to turn away. I had to turn my head away and open my mouth really big so that the sobs that came wouldn't be audible. And I was so, I was a little bit upset. I was like, heavenly, you know, I went home and I, you know, I composed myself and we had our tea party and it was okay. Um, and I went home from that experience and I allowed myself to ask Heavenly Father a question that I don't permit myself to ask. And I said, why? I said, Heavenly Father, why, why did you send these little girls like this? Like, why, why are they in wheelchairs? Why can't they talk? Why can't they breathe by themselves? Why can't they eat? Why can't they, why can't they do the things that other little girls get to do? Why did you do this to them? Because I'm an adult. I was paralyzed as an adult. I can take it. Yes. These little girls, I was so mad. Yes. I just kept saying, why? And Heavenly Father didn't have to answer me. But again, in his mercy, undeserved, um, he did. He answered me. And I, I a quote was sitting on an Enzyme article um, right in front of me. And I saw it and it was big and it was President Thomas S. Monson and um, from, you know, Heavenly Father saying, I will shape the back to bear the burdens that are placed upon it. 
And then into my mind came the scripture, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And the lights of this world came into my mind, you know, big, big influential people. Carmen, you're one of them. You know, on American Idol, you, you stand as a witness like, oh, my gosh, how wonderful that so many thousands of people get to see you and other people um, like Jimmer Fredette and all of these wonderful, huge, important lights of the world. Um, but who do they look up to? Who do they look up to that you can only look up so much until you have to look back down for your inspiration. And on the ground, you see those little girls in wheelchairs who can't eat, who can't breathe, who can't walk who don't dance, and you say, you inspire me. And in my mind, Heavenly Father told me that these are the igniters for the lights of the world. These are who provide the light for the lights. They provide the inspiration for the inspirational. They provide the power that fuels the powerful people in this world. And without them, we don't have lights on the hill. Oh. That is the most beautiful thought that they are the igniters. I love that so much. And how many people do we know in our lives that aren't famous or, you know, on TV or haven't done amazing big things as far as the world's concerned, but they have ignited and inspired us personally. I mean, I can think of so many people who nobody else would know except for me. Um, who I've looked at and thought, oh my goodness, I, you inspire me and I want to be better because of you and because of who you are and how you, f really how you face your trials and how you live your life. Um, I've often thought, and I've saw several quotes on social media before they say, um, one of them said something along the lines of trial and grief carves out a hole to hold more joy. Have you in, in your heart, have you found that through this carving and most life altering trial of being paralyzed, that it is actually allowed a place in your heart to hold more joy? I absolutely do believe that. Um, I, I feel like um, I have, there's a couple of things I feel, let's see, where do I start? Um I have been to the point uh, where you've cried so hard that you're not making any noise. I don't know what it is about crying, but you can cry away all the sound until you're left with those heavy, empty, silent sobs. And I know that many of us have been there. Well, all of us have probably been there. And um, But I feel like uh, as far sad as you felt um, on the very other side, kind of like a pendulum, um, you can feel so much joy, like that much joy on the other side, but you have to reach the one extreme if you're going to make it to the other. And so back and forth, we swing in this life, experiencing the ups and downs, um, knowing that the downs just make it so that we can reach an even higher up. That is an incredible thought. I love that visual of the pendulum as far back as our grief and trial goes that's as far forward it's such a beautiful thought but how have you put that into practice what if there's someone that right now is in the carving stage they're in the grief stage um they're in that really awful dark place what advice would you give them for coming out on the other side what hope would you get them that oh 
I promise that increase of joy is, is possible and waiting for you. That's hard because anybody who's in that difficult circumstance right now um, knows about the happiness and mentally we, we recognize, you know, we can say it that there is happiness and there is hope and there is joy just around the corner. But when you're in the middle of your awful, it's hard to see the other side of that awful. And so I would say, so instead of looking forward to the end of this awful, if there is an end in this life, I would say to look backwards, look backwards on your life because David fought Goliath and he won, but not before he was a shepherd. And when he was a shepherd, Heavenly Father allowed his flock, his sheep to be attacked, not once but twice by a lion and a bear. And he fought both of them with his bare hands and he won and he beat them so that when he saw Goliath, he knew in advance, he's like, I'm going to kill that guy. And he knew so well that he only picked up five stones from the water. He knew, he knew himself well enough that he could kill Goliath in five tries. He could get him and he only needed one. We already know the story, but he didn't, he didn't know how the book of Samuel was going to be written. He didn't know the ending of that. He only knew how many stones he needed to pick up from the water. He knew before we did, before Samuel did, before Goliath knew that he could kill him in five times, five tries. And so, and how did he know? Because he'd already killed a bear and he'd already killed a lion and he was going to kill this Goliath too. And so I feel like we get these really big trials in our lives, like these Goliath trials, but not before we fought a bear and a lion. And when we fight those bears and lions and win, then Heavenly Father gives us more and more and more. And so when we look backwards, we can say, I've already accomplished this and I've already accomplished this and I will prevail again. I will. And right now I'm currently in a wheelchair still like, and the end is like, I might die and then I'll be resurrected and walk. That's awesome. I know that's coming. Or the doctors might come out with a cure. Awesome. It's going to be like LASIK. I'll roll in and walk out. It's going to be. <laughs> but for right now, I'm still in a wheelchair. Like this is how it is right now. But I've already fought bears and I've already fought lions in my life and I've prevailed. And I have no doubt that I will do that again. That is the most hopeful thought um, that whatever, there's a quote and it said, you've survived 100% of the trials of your life. Like you have a 100% track record. Like you've survived all of them. You did it. You're here. Um, and, and you can do it again. I love that thought of look at what you've done. Look at how far you've come. Look at how heavenly father has prepared you for these trials. Or maybe this is a preparatory trial and you can look at this trial you're in and think, wow, I might be having to face some really difficult things in my life later on. And instead of Heavenly Father giving me something and thinking of how unkind or how awful or why would you do this, if you can somehow switch that to, oh, I'm so grateful that you're preparing me. I'm so grateful that this is something that you're preparing me for because I might need to face some really difficult things later on. And this is something that's going to help me get through them. Everything in life, I believe, is done for a purpose. There's no accidents. We go through life and and um, some things happen. I don't know if you were meant to be paralyzed. Maybe you were. Maybe, you know, I mean, we have free agency and we make choices. And But 
nothing's a mystery to heavenly father. Like he knows everything. He knows what is going to happen and is able to get us through all of that. And I, I love looking at you as an example, as both an igniter and a light, you are both. And the example and inspiration you are to so many people of not only a very physical trial, but also living your life with so much joy and happiness and being able to uplift so many other people. Anyway, it's just, it's an honor to know you and to have you as a friend. I look up to you so much and I love you. And I'm so grateful for all of the good you do in your life. And thank you for being such a light to us. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Carmen. You're just such the sweetest person ever. <laughs> I am not, but if, if I am, it's, it's, it's learning it from people like you. And, um, I, that's something that I try to work on honestly is being more positive in my statements and attitude. And, and like you said, if you think a compliment, you think something positive to say it. And I think we can, we can do so much good in this world. Um, through little things, like you said, a smile is the easiest thing and a compliment is so big. Um, and we really can change the world and you're proof of that. So Meg, thank you so much for taking time to come on this podcast and for all the good you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.